0: Our text this morning is John chapter 7, look down at verse 25, and we're going to go from 25 to 36. This is the word of Almighty God. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and... when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd and they muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little while longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where's this man intend to go? that we will not find him. Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. Let's pray. Friends, Lord, thank you for letting us be here today. I pray now that as we open your word, Lord, you will empower the message by the Spirit to change hearts and lives for your glory. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. All right. How many of you remember the telephone answering machine? Yeah. Some of you, by the way, but not nearly as many as one might think, have voicemail set up on your phone. But years ago, before voicemail, old people would buy an, a machine. And it used a little cassette tape to answer the phone, remember? It would play the greeting that went out. Then it would record the sound of somebody hanging up on the answering machine. (laughs) Sometimes somebody would tell you something on it. Now when I was in college, we thought it was fun to come up with creative, outgoing greetings for the answering machine. I used to sing funny little songs. And I would change my outgoing greeting every month or so. I knew people in an office at my college who would call my room when they knew I wasn't there just to see what I had done that month. (laughs) I had a friend who had a greeting that you might call terse, but it also accomplished the task. If you called his room when he wasn't there, his machine answered you with the greeting, not to be rude, but who are you and why do I care? (laughs) Now, that wasn't a nice greeting. I'm not suggesting you change that on your phone. Those questions are pretty good though, don't you think? In a weird little way, those questions fit exactly what we're going to do this morning because today I want us to talk about two things related to Jesus. Who is he and why do we care? Who's Jesus and what did he come to this earth to do? Here in John chapter 7, as we pick up the story, it's the month of October, Jesus is present at the Jewish Feast of Booths. We'll study more about that later. The big thing you need to know today is that this feast was a festival in which men from all over Israel came to Jerusalem that they might participate. So Jesus was in a place where there was a big, religiously-minded, Messiah-expecting crowd. And many in the crowd, they were talking about Jesus. They were wondering One major thing, can we really trust this Jesus? Well, Jesus finally began to teach. We studied some of that last week. In verse 14, he began to help the crowd to understand how it is they can trust him. And he cited his teaching as a proof that he was a trustworthy teacher. He said that his teaching came from God. He said that his teaching is out of a desire that the will of God would be done. He claimed that his teaching is to the glory of God. Jesus claimed that his teaching came from right judgment about the word of God. So from the last message, we learned that one way that you know you can trust Jesus is because of how Jesus handled the word of God. Now today, we're going to go forward, we're going to find two more reasons to trust Jesus. From verses 25 all the way down to 36. We get two unique things about Jesus that helps us to decide how we should think about Jesus. Both of them call us to trust in Jesus. We're going to trust Jesus, one, because of his identity. And we're going to learn to trust Jesus because of his mission. You might say we're going to learn to trust the person. And the work of Jesus. Look at verse 25 to 27. This sets us up here. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. When the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So there's a lot of people in the crowd. They've heard They know that the Jewish religious leaders want to have Jesus killed. And if anybody forgot it, Jesus reminded them of it in verses 19 to 24. And once the crowds realize what's going on, they've got a question here. If this Jesus really is the guy that all the religious teachers want to arrest and have killed, how is it he's standing here teaching in the temple right under the leader's noses and he's not being arrested that's a good question by the way it'd be kind of like having a well-known criminal some sort of national enemy show up and give a lecture on a university campus right i mean y'all didn't expect that given the present global environment that vladimir putin was going to be given the graduation address at unlv because if that were to happen, you'd have questions, wouldn't you? Because y'all know, this guy's not our friend. In fact, most of us understand that the government would find it to be a good thing if he were no longer in power, no longer able to cause global chaos. So if all of a sudden you saw that that Vlad's given a speech at UNLV you might wonder just what it is that's going on. And you might say, has the government changed their mind? (laughs) That's exactly what the people wonder about Jesus. Have the Jewish teachers decided Jesus really is the Messiah? Is he the long-awaited promised king from God? And if not, why aren't they arresting him? He's right here. Then we get a second question. This is a weird question. You know how they said there's no such thing as stupid questions? This is one. Back in those days, there were some people that came up with their own view about what the Messiah would do. It's not in the Bible. They said that nobody, not even the Messiah, is going to know that he's the Messiah until the prophet Elijah shows up and anoints him with the power to do the work of the Messiah. That's not in the Bible. Then that got twisted into a belief that when the Messiah comes on the scene, nobody's even going to know what town the guy comes from. So they conclude Jesus must not be the Messiah. Now, if you look down all the way down at verse 52, the Jewish religious leaders, they're not buying that idea that nobody knows where the Messiah comes from. The council makes fun of Nicodemus because they know the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee. Back in Matthew chapter 2, the religious teachers tell King Herod exactly where the Messiah would be born. He would be born in Bethlehem. So the Bible's very clear that we do know where the Messiah comes from. So that little question there, verse 27, it's a wrong-headed question. But the question about knowing where Jesus comes from, that leads us into the first point today, the second reason to trust Jesus from verses 14 to 36. So point number one, if you're a point writer downer, trust Jesus because of his identity. Trust Jesus because of his identity. Verses 28 and 29 say, So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. Here we have Jesus speaking, and there's a lot of authority behind the way Jesus talks. That word proclaimed in verse 28, that says that Jesus is crying out to teach truth. The time for questions and discussion has pretty much ended at this point. Jesus is speaking authoritatively, purposefully. And then Jesus says, y'all are ridiculous if you think you know who I am and where I come from. I don't know, some of your Bibles may end the sentence with a question mark. Some of, them, some of you will have an exclamation point. The idea, the suggestion is that Jesus is almost asking these guys, do you really think you know where I come from? And even if you've got a period as your punctuation, remember there are no question marks, exclamation points, or periods or quotation marks in Greek. So you've got to do your best to figure out what should be here. But the point is, you got to recognize Jesus actually is speaking somewhat sarcastically to this crowd. Jesus is pretty much looking at the crowd going, you think you know me? You honestly think you know where I came from? Let me help you out here. The crowds, the teachers, they're like, oh, we got you figured out, Jesus. We know where you came from. You came from Nazareth. You came from Galilee. But let me ask you guys, if you know the word of God, was Jesus born in Nazareth? No. Jesus came from Bethlehem, right where God said Messiah would come from in Micah 5, 2. So, let's make a little logical syllogism here. You can see how messed up the poor crowd is. If premise one of their argument is, nobody will know where Messiah comes from, Premise number two, Jesus came from Nazareth. Therefore, Jesus cannot be the Messiah. What's wrong with their argument? Well, the first premise is wrong. The Bible tells you where the Messiah will come from. The second premise is wrong because Jesus came from Bethlehem, not from Nazareth. Also, Jesus was sent to earth from God. So the people have no idea what they're talking about there. And the conclusion is wrong in their argument because Jesus really is the Messiah. He really is the promised one from God. So again, that's a pretty bad argument, but we've got to do what we can, right? Now, Jesus then says, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. Put another way, Jesus says, you think you know where I come from because you know I showed up here from Nazareth? Don't you realize I come from somewhere far beyond Nazareth? I come sent from God. I know God, even if you don't. I know him because he sent me. You want to know if you can trust me? Here's the easy way to know, Jesus says. Trust God. You trust God, you got to trust Jesus because God sent Jesus. So there's the question, right? Why do we trust Jesus? Last week we saw we trust Jesus because he teaches the word of God and because he came from God. Now we see he came from God. This takes you back to the very beginning of John's gospel, by the way. John 1, 1 starts with, by saying, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word what? And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through, or All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. By the way, if all things were made through Jesus, did anybody make Jesus? No, because then he'd be one of the things that were made, and that sentence would be wrong. Verse 14 then says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What's John telling us? Jesus is God. He is The word of God. He's the communication of God to men. When we see Jesus, we see God. Not sub-God, not mini-God, not lesser God. We see God, capital G. When Jesus acts, God acts. When you know Jesus, you know God. What Jesus is like, God is like. Think about a few things that we've seen out of Jesus in the book of John. John chapter 1 35 to 51 Jesus welcomes to himself men who wanted to know him and wanted to follow him. From that you learn this, God will welcome into his family people who come to him in faith and repentance. In John 2 1 to 11, Jesus turned water to wine at a wedding. There you learn that Jesus is powerful, that he's wonderfully giving, that he's very kind. You know what you learn from that? God is powerful, giving, and kind. Later in John 2, Jesus overturns the tables of those who were selling animals and changing money in the temple courts. And in that scene, you learn that Jesus is deeply concerned about the holiness of God. From that, you learn that God is deeply concerned about the holiness of God. It's a major offense to insult the holiness of God. Even at the end of John chapter 2, you saw that Jesus would not be fooled by pretended devotion. By that, you learn that God has never once been fooled by us when our hearts don't actually belong to him. John chapter 4, Jesus meets with the woman at the well in Samaria. And you learn there that Jesus is compassionate. That Jesus will reach out to people of all ethnic groups and all social classes That Jesus will love sinners and he calls people to come worship God in spirit and truth. And from that scene in the life of Jesus, you know what you learn? God is compassionate, welcoming of all kinds of people and all people groups, willing to forgive sinners, valuing true worship. Later in John 4, Jesus healed a man's son from miles away. You learn from that that Jesus is powerful and compassionate. God is powerful and compassionate. Chapter 5, you watch Jesus heal a man who'd been paralyzed for 38 years, and there you learn that God is mighty to heal, that God pushes back, that Jesus can push back the effects of the fall of man. God does that. Chapter 6, you learn, you watch Jesus feed 5,000 people with one guy's lunch and walk on water. And you're reminded that God has power over nature. God is not limited by your limited resources. Aren't you glad about that, by the way? Do you guys see the point? What Jesus is like, God is like, what God is like, Jesus is like God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. uh, Share the same love, share the same mercy, share the same character, the same holiness, the same perfections. You trust Jesus because Jesus is God the Son. Jesus is our perfect picture of God. This morning, would you like to know the God who made you? Would you like to know the God who loves you? Would you like to know the God who's willing to forgive you of your wrong? If so, you need to get to know Jesus because Jesus is that God. He made you. He's willing to let you know him if you will come to him in faith. If you'll come to him understanding that you're guilty of sin and that Jesus is your only hope, if you will come to Jesus in faith, you will get to know God for real yes jesus is from god he is god and we trust in jesus because of his identity as god the son but there's even more conversation for jesus to have with the crowd and it'll help you to see more one more reason today why to trust him look at verses 30 to 32 so They were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. So, we just saw Jesus make it clear he came from God. And his opponents, again, want to arrest him for this. But they can't. Even though Jesus is standing right there in broad daylight, in the temple grounds, no less, they can't lay a hand on him. Why? They couldn't arrest Jesus because Jesus' hour had not yet come. You know, you read John the theme of of the hour of Jesus coming is a major theme. The concept is pretty simple. There was a moment set by God before He ever created the universe. There's a moment set by God when He said, that's going to be the moment when I send my Son and He will die to pay the price for the sins of every single person who believes in Him. And that moment was set in something stronger than stone. And until that exact moment came, was nobody going to arrest Jesus, kill Jesus, or otherwise derail the sovereign plan of God. Because our God's in control. Every time you read about Jesus' hour, recognize you're reading about God ordering human events So that the will of God is perfectly accomplished. By the way, you ever worry about things in your life happening that you can't control? You ever worry about things that you fear God is not controlling? If you do worry like that, you should think differently. The same God who determined the very hour in which Jesus would fulfill his mission is the very God who watches over all of the world now. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Psalm 139 verse 16 says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God does all that he pleases. Every one of your days has been written in God's book. You live under the watchful gaze of a God who is utterly in control. He knows you. He knows your beginning. He knows your end. He made you. And he will keep you. And it's good to know that God. Down verse 32, the Jewish religious teachers, they, they actually send men to go arrest Jesus. We're not going to find out whether that works until next week. I don't want to spoil the ending for you, okay? Okay. If you want to guess, you can tell me if you guess you think those guys are going to get him or not. It ain't time. But sandwiched between verse 30 and verse 32, when people want to arrest Jesus, we see verse 31 that says, yet many people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? Even though many people wanted Jesus off the scene, there were people who believed. They saw the miracles Jesus performed. They heard the things Jesus had been saying about himself and his teaching, his identity. They took an honest look at the person of Jesus and they believed. And my prayer, friends, my prayer for you is that many of you, that all of you, as you think about the things that we're learning about Jesus, that you will believe too. Put your trust, your hope, your everything, trust everything to Jesus, Because he is your only hope. Now why is Jesus our only hope? Let's look at point number two and we'll find it. Our second point for this morning. Trust Jesus because of his mission. Trust Jesus because of his mission. Look at verses 33 to 34. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little while longer and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. We know that the teaching of Jesus came from God, verses 14 to 24. We know that Jesus identifies himself as God, verses 28 and 29. Now Jesus displays for us a glimpse of his mission, a mission that starts and ends with God. When Jesus says this to the crowd, I told you it was the month of October, it's about six months before Jesus will go to the cross. But right here, Jesus looks forward to his death. He says there's a death coming. He will intentionally allow himself to die that he might be the sacrifice for our sins. Jesus told the people he's going to be with them just a little bit longer. That little bit longer is the coming six month period. But then after that six months is up, something's going to happen. Jesus said he's going to go somewhere that the people cannot follow. They're going to look, but they're not going to be able to find the way. Jesus is going back to his father. Jesus is going back to the one who sent him. Jesus is returning to his glorious position on the throne of the universe once his work is finished. What's the mission of Jesus? John 1 verse 29 said the next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus' mission is to be the sacrificial Lamb to rescue people for God. Do y'all know what sacrificial lambs do? They die. Sacrificial lambs bear the guilt, shame, and blame for the sins of others, even when the lambs had nothing to do with it. Sacrificial lambs suffer as substitutes or John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus mission is to show to accomplish to demonstrate the love of God. God loved us. How did God love us? To what extent did God love us? He loved us by giving His only Son. Jesus came to die that we might not have to die and go to hell forever. Jesus came to glorify His Father by rescuing for God, God's people. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Jesus said, Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to pay our ransom. Now I want you to get this right. The ransom owed is not a ransom to an enemy. Jesus did not pay a ransom to the devil on our behalf. Jesus came to pay the price that we owe to God because we have violated God's perfect standard. What's Jesus' mission? He came to this earth perfect he lived perfect he never sinned he never failed he showed us exactly what God's like but that wasn't all of his mission Jesus had more than he was going to do Jesus's mission was to be the lamb of God his mission was to be the sacrificial lamb who would bear the blame and the guilt for the wrong things that people like you and I do he was to pay our ransom he was to bring sinners to God 2 Corinthians 5.21, one of my favorite verses. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Jesus' mission was to take on himself our sin to take upon himself our punishment so he could clean us up and make us righteous enough to live with God forever. That's a mission we could never accomplish. It's a mission Jesus accomplished perfectly. When Jesus said in verses 33 and 34 of John 7 that he was going away and that where he was going the people couldn't follow, he was saying something pretty profound He was pointing to the finishing of his mission. He was pointing to his death on the cross. He was pointing to the fact that he would rise from the grave. He was pointing to the fact that he, with his body still alive, would ascend to heaven and would sit down on the throne of the universe where he sits right now, today, alive, waiting to come back. Jesus pointed to his completed mission as a reason you should trust him. Then verses 35 and 36 will wrap us up today. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we won't find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me and where I am you cannot come? Well folks, as usual, the people who hear Jesus speak about his mission, they do the thing that they do so well. They miss the point. They wonder where Jesus is going to go. They speculate, maybe Jesus is saying he's going to go to another country. So they couldn't follow him there. They have no idea what Jesus meant. They had no clue about this mission to lay down his life to save our souls. There's even a a snide bit of mockery here. The teachers wonder, is he going to go to the Diaspora? That, that, that set of cities where Jews live among Greek-speaking Gentiles? Ooh, yuck! Because you know that the religious folks in Jerusalem thought that hanging out with Gentiles was icky. It was unclean. It was beneath the dignity of a good Jewish man. Maybe, maybe they think Jesus would even stoop so low as to teach the gentiles heaven forbid right isn't it interesting that what this group thinks of as an insult to jesus and his ministry is beautifully prophetic what's gonna happen soon guys Jesus is going to accomplish his mission, and Jesus is going to send his disciples to go make disciples of whom? Of all the nations. He's going to send them to carry the gospel to Jews and to Gentiles. And you know what he's going to do? Read the book of Ephesians again, and you'll see it. He's going to create for himself one new people group that is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither this ethnic group nor that ethnic group, neither this social class nor that social class. The only thing that will identify these people is that they are the brand new people of God. Jesus is going to do exactly what the Jews mocked, but he ain't going to do it in the way that they ever envisioned. They didn't believe in Jesus. They didn't understand his holy mission but what about you do you understand who Jesus is do you realize that Jesus the son of God died to pay the price for sins that he never ever committed do you realize that anybody who will come to Jesus in faith will have their sins forgiven forever Do you realize that the only way you can go where Jesus has gone, the only way for you to have life after you die, is for you to trust Jesus now? Do you realize that the only hope for your family members, friends, co-workers, neighbors, is for them to put their trust in Jesus? I urge you to be sure, before this service is over, That you have come to Jesus and put your trust in Jesus that you might have your sins forgiven. Don't be like the crowd that missed the point. Put your faith in Jesus today. And what about those who have already put their faith in Jesus? I mean, if you're coming to church at the YMCA on a Sunday morning, you probably know Jesus, right? What are we supposed to do with the identity and the mission of Jesus? The identity of Jesus, his status as God the Son, should draw you to worship Jesus because he's God the Son. So when you see Jesus' perfection, his holiness, his character, his mercy, his goodness, it should draw you to offer Jesus praise and to live for his glory. And the mission of Jesus that Jesus came to be the sacrificial lamb for the sins of the world, that should drive you to share the good news about Jesus with everybody you can. Understanding Jesus' identity and his mission leads Christians to worship and evangelism. So Christians, let us praise our Lord and take his love to a lost, dying world. Let's pray together, friends.